Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's our hope and prayer that you will experience God's blessing in your life through our ministry. At Three Strands Church, our goal is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. Glad you guys are here today. Like I said earlier, I want to take you back to the Christmas story today, but I want you to see it in a fresh way, a different way than maybe you've heard it in church before. I think so often Christmas story is taught as a season of new beginnings, and that is true. But it didn't start that way. It started as a dead end. I want you to see that today. If you'll open your Bibles, if you have one with you, if you have a Bible app, check it out on there. Or these verses will be on the screen if you want to follow along on the screen. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 today. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. I'm going to read you this piece of the story where it talks about Jesus being born. And specifically where an angel shows up to his stepdad-to-be, Joseph, and tells him that Mary's about to have a baby. Let me read it to you in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this, not some of this, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. This is the message. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. Just so no doubt would be in anybody's mind, right? And Joseph named him Jesus. At our church, maybe at a lot of church, I've been in several churches in my life. Maybe you too have been in several churches in your life. But I can tell you that in many churches, it's thought that like the pastor calls all the shots. Does anybody kind of think that? The pastor calls all the shots? Like the pastor's kind of like the king and everybody else has to do what he says. Okay, well in no church I've ever been in is that less true than this church, okay? So... The pastor of this church, he calls almost no shots, all right? And so uh, if you're one of those people at this church who's kind of like helping out behind the scenes a lot, you've probably seen me frustrated, right? Anybody, if you've seen me frustrated, raise your hand. If you ever seen me frustrated, all right. All right, so I need to go to anger management classes. Is that what you're saying? So you've probably seen me frustrated um, or discouraged sometimes because sometimes it feels like Nobody's got my back. You know what I mean? I'm always looking for somebody to get my back. And sometimes it feels like I don't, nobody ever gets my back. So I find myself from time to time sitting around thinking, why doesn't somebody in this church just every once in a while just give me 
the benefit of the doubt. You ever hear somebody say that before? The benefit of the doubt, right? And so today what I want to talk to you about is the benefit of the doubt. I probably exaggerated that a little bit, right, Sam? Sometimes I get my way. It's not as often as some churches, though, but sometimes I, <laughs> I always get my way, Sam says. All right. But uh, today I want to talk to you about the benefit of the doubt. And uh, this story we're going to look at, this story of Joseph and his encounter with the angel announcing the coming birth of Jesus through Mary, it's easy to read that Christmas after Christmas and see the goodness in it, to see the new beginnings, the new coming baby, the announcement from the angel, the excitement as Joseph leaves and wakes up from this dream and goes on and carries about his life, excited about what lies ahead. But the truth is that this story starts off as a dead end for Joseph. The Bible says that he's engaged. Some translations say betrothed to Mary. But the word engagement really falls short in our culture. We don't really have in our culture what Mary and Joseph were engaged in during this time. It was really more than engagement. Marriages at that time were arranged. And so they probably didn't even really know each other. But they were betrothed or what we would call engaged. And it was more legal. It was more legal than our engagements are today. To break a betrothment or an engagement during that time, it would have required a divorcement, a legal separation. And so they were pretty connected at this point, even though they didn't really know each other that well yet, probably. And and the ball's going to drop on Joseph's head, right? The doubt's going to set in, the dead end's going to hit him right in the face, and all of a sudden his wife-to-be, who he's never been with physically, is going to drop the bombshell on him. That she's pregnant. And then to top it all off, the baby is God's. Now you may have more faith than me, but it would be hard for me to swallow that, right? It would be hard for me to buy into that. I would be thinking either this was a lie or this was just a dream and I ate something wrong before I went to bed, right? But sure enough, this is the story that we're going to look at. Let me back up for you just a little bit and recognize that the time period we're looking at is what would be called in a lot of theological circles the dark days. The dark days. The time from the prophet Malachi to the beginning of Matthew in the New Testament is 400 years. That's older than America, right? That's older than our country. And for 400 years, God hadn't spoken to his people, he hadn't given them any new messages. He hadn't raised up any new prophets. He had been silent. And if you were a follower of the one true God during that time, you would have started to think heaven is a dead end. That there's doubt as to whether or not everything you'd been taught was true. No miracles, no teaching, no revelation. From heaven, all you get for 400 years is silence. And then this announcement that my wife-to-be is going to have a baby, that God's the Father, the Holy Spirit's the Father, and I should still take her as my, to be my wife. This would be challenging. The beginning of the book of Matthew, we didn't read this part, but you get a list of all these names, 42 generations, giving you the trail to go the whole way from King David to the Messiah who's about to be born. 
14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 generations from the Babylonian exile to the birth of Christ. You could go back even further than that and trace the lineage from Abraham the whole way up, or from Adam the whole way up to Abraham. And what you get is generation after generation of disappointment. That God gave his people his law, and almost instantly they rebelled against it. He sends them prophets, and they reject all the words they share with him. In 400 years, he says not a word. As if to say, heaven's at a dead end. What's left to do? What more can be done to convince people? To show people my way is the right way. To give people hope where there is no hope. What more could heaven do? And so they are quiet for centuries. You ever feel like you're at a dead end? You ever feel like you're at a dead end? You can hit a dead end in a lot of different areas of life. You can hit a dead end financially. You can get to this point where you sit and say to yourself, I've tried everything I can try and I'm still stuck in the same place and nothing seems to be working out the way I wanted it to. I've maxed out every credit card. I've taken every loan. I've cut back every expense and tightened my belt as much as I can and yet I can't get ahead financially. You can experience a dead end relationally. I've given everything I have to this relationship, but nothing seems to be working. I've tried and tried and tried, and all I get back is rejection and disappointment. Nothing seems to be working. You can experience a dead end in religion. How many of you know that? You can say, I'm going to be better over and over and over again, and every time you fail, you start to think, I don't know what else to do. Dead ends all over the place in our lives. This was no different from Joseph. Can you imagine being him? And you go to sleep one night, and an angel shows up in your dream and says, your fiancé's pregnant, but don't sweat it. The Holy Spirit did it. Right? Dead end. And so what I want to share with you today from this story It's just three facts from Joseph. Three facts that God had to show him. Three facts when you're at a dead end. When you've got some doubts. When you've got some questions for the Lord about a specific situation in your life. Three facts that you've got to understand if you want to know why you're where you're at. If you want to know how to turn that dead end into destiny. If you want to know how to turn that doubt into something great. So here they are. Here's the first one, okay? The first one's at the beginning of the story. I don't know if you caught this or not. If you're able, just flash verse 19 and 20 back up there, kind of one after another. If you'll see, Joseph decides he's a, he's a good man, right? And so he decides he's going to break this engagement quietly because he doesn't want to bring any undue shame to Mary. He's a good guy, right? He decides he's going to break the engagement quietly And then in the next verse, it says, he considered this, and while he considered it, an angel showed up. And I thought, that doesn't seem like the right order, right? And I wonder, like, how many times in my life do I make the decision for something before I consider it? He makes the decision to divorce her, 
and then he sits and considers it. That's kind of backwards, isn't it? I wonder how many dead ends could be avoided in your life if you would consider the words of the Lord before you decided what to do. But so often we do it backwards. We decide what we're going to do before we consider what the Lord says. And so that brings me to my first fact for you guys. You want to get out of these dead ends? You want to turn your doubt into hope? Turn your dead end into destiny? Here's the first thing God's trying to say through this story today. That what you have in mind may not be what God has in store. Joseph kind of put it in his mind. He made a decision. He's going to divorce her. But it turns out God had a different plan in store. What you have in mind may not be what God has in store. I remember I've shared this story with our church before. So if you've been here for a while, you're going to be like, that guy tells the same stories over and over. I know that's what you're thinking. But when I was in high school, I graduated from high school, and me and a few of my friends just hanging out over the summer before we all went away to college, and we decided one night, this is why if you're like a teenager and you just graduated from high school, you probably shouldn't hang out with your friends real late at night anymore because you're just going to get into trouble, right? And so uh, my friends and I are hanging out. It's probably like 10 or 11 at night, and we're sitting around. I think we were at my house, and we're sitting around the living room. And one of us got this idea to drive about 15 minutes down the road to a reservoir in our county. And this reservoir has like a huge concrete spillway. And the water in the reservoir runs down over the spillway, probably about 50 feet long, gets to the bottom, and then drains off to the side to be treated and sent out for drinking water, right? So one of us gets this idea, hey, why don't we go down to that reservoir, jump the fence, and water slide down that spillway? That sounds like a, that sounds like a good idea, right? Sounds like a memory to make it's with your friends. So we head down to this uh, reservoir, which was in Sinking Valley. That's the name of the town it was in. Sinking Valley, Pennsylvania. And uh, we get there, and my buddy brought a couple snow sleds, plastic snow sleds, and we got the floor mats out of our car, right? So we're thinking, we'll slide down on these things, right? So we hop the fence, go out to this spillway, and we sit down on these sleds and floor mats, and we start to try and sl- uh, water slide down this spillway. But there's too much friction from the concrete, right? It's made out of concrete. It won't let us slide down. So we're starting to get kind of discouraged, like, oh, this is a waste of time, right? Some of my friends, not me, because I'm a really good guy, right? I mean, but some of my friends did some ungodly things while we were there. But I did not. I was a good guy, right? I was just saying, you may not have wanted to drink the water after we were there that night. But, so we're getting ready to leave, and I got this thought in my head. I was like, I'm going to give it one more try without the sled, right? So I go back out, and what I'd failed to recognize up front was the spillway was sloped at the top. But once you got about five feet down, then the slope went further, like a greater angle. You see what I'm saying? Y'all with me? Everybody with me on this, right? So I'm out in this spillway, and there's about a half inch to an inch of water running down over it. And I start scooting out, and I can't go, even without anything under me. I hit that edge where it slopes down real straight, and I just took off. I mean, it was like, water shooting up behind me. I had no control over my limbs. I mean, I was going fast. Like, I've been on speed slides. It was faster, okay? Water shooting up behind me. My friends are at the top just watching me plummet to death, right? 
on the way down, I can't slow down. I'm trying to slow down. I can't stop. I can't change my direction, anything. I'm looking at the bottom. At the bottom, it flattens out, and there's about a five or six foot space where the water, it's flat, and the water builds up to about a foot. And then it empties off to the side, right? So on the way down, I'm thinking, this isn't good, this isn't good, this isn't good. But I see the flat spot at the bottom, and I think, that'll slow me down. It didn't slow me down. I hit that flat spot, and I went airborne. And I flipped from going feet first to now going head first. I flew out over that five or six foot buildup of water, about five or six more feet, and landed on my belly on a big pile of rocks. Blood is gushing out of me everywhere. Wherever there was exposed skin, it's bleeding. My knuckles are bleeding. My elbows are bleeding. My face is bleeding. My friends are standing there. They don't say a word. And I just, and I'm just like in, in shock, right? And I finally like pull myself up. Once they realize I'm okay, they start laughing like it's, like it's the funniest thing I've ever seen, right? Which it wasn't. It was, it was, see, I got scars to prove it wasn't funny. But what happened in that moment was that I had failed to stop and consider what was going to happen before I made the decision to act. You guys get that, right? What God is saying is you got to stop and consider what he's saying despite what you have in your mind to do. Don't decide what you think before you consider what God says. Now listen, I kind of admire Joseph in this story. If I'm being honest, I kind of admire his character. I don't know that I would have had the faith to give Mary the benefit of the doubt in this story. I would have thought it was a dream, that I'd just woken up from a dream, a crazy dream. Unless the angel had been like Maury Povich, right? And had like a DNA test or paternity test or something, you know? And he was like, hey, I got some divine DNA in this paternity test. Then maybe otherwise I'd have been thinking, this is not real. But he obviously had some kind of greater faith than maybe I would have in that setting. Listen, the angel says something to Joseph that seems kind of simple on the surface, but has a deeper meaning. In verse 20, The angel says to Joseph, the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. What's he saying? It's like God is saying to Joseph, don't worry. Don't be afraid. What's in her is from me. What's in her is from me. Is that enough? Is that enough to quench my fear, to calm my worry, to overcome my doubts? If God just simply says, don't worry, What you see in front of you, what you're experiencing, what is set up as disappointment is really from me, is really me being on your side. See, when it comes to God, we start with the verdict, not the evidence. We start with the verdict that God is good, that God is with me, that God is for me. Doubt tries to steal that from you. It tries to say, you don't have enough evidence. But sometimes what shows up as disappointment is actually your destiny. And so it brings us to the second fact in this story, that if you want to avoid these dead ends, if you want to overcome your doubts and succeed anyhow, you've got to, have, you've got to understand that what you have in mind may not be what God has in store, but you also have to know the second fact, that what looks like disappointment is really God's design that there are no accidents, 
you sit and you think, why did this have to happen to me? Why me, God? How many people say that? But sometimes what looks like disappointment had to happen in order to fulfill what God said. Do you see that in verse 22? All of these things had to happen in order to fulfill what God spoke through the prophet 700 years ago. All of these things had to happen. Why, God? Why me? It's not random. It's a reason. It's not random in your life. God has a reason. I need somebody's help. Can I, somebody, anybody got a Bible? Anybody, I know we're like a church that doesn't really bring many Bibles. We like look at the screen, you look at our phones. Anybody got like a real Bible with them? Like a hard copy? Oh, a hard copy. You got, at the three stores, we sell them, right? But everybody just brings their phones now, right? What kind of Bible do you got? Let's see this Bible. Oh, that's a big Bible. That's bigger than my Bible, I think, isn't it? Yeah, that's like a Pharisee Bible there. I like that. Yeah, this has got tabs on it. Look at that thing. Man, okay. So I'm going to look and see in her version. Okay, I hope you're going to read with me. So you're going to have a son named Jesus. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. No, it's not in her Bible either. I was looking for the part. See, my Bible must be wrong. Because I was looking for the part where the angel gave Joseph the proof. But it's missing. That part's not in there. You guys see that? I mean, I want some proof, angel. Give me something. Can I, can I see somebody else's Bible? Anybody else got a Bible? Let me see your Bible a second. You got it open to the right. Oh, she was reading the Psalms. See that? She was reading like a proverb for the day. No, she's at it. She's at it. Oh, man, this one's underlined. It must be right. This one's underlined. Let me see. See why he considered this? The angel appeared to him in a dream. He said, Joseph, don't be afraid. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message. It's not in here either. This Bible's wrong too. This Bible's wrong. See, that time I was, that time I was looking, I was looking for the part where it told me how Joseph felt about all of it. See, that wasn't in there either. There wasn't any proof in that text. There wasn't anything in there about how Joseph felt about the whole situation. It's almost as if God is saying to us, I know you don't have the proof you want. And you may not have a good feeling about the situation you're in. But trust my words anyhow. Now think about it for a second. Joseph must have really trusted Mary to buy this story, right? Probably not. Like I said earlier, this is an arranged marriage. They probably didn't even really know each other that well. So how does he trust this situation? How does he trust what the angel's saying when he doesn't know anything about this girl yet? So maybe he really trusts God. It did say at the beginning that he was a righteous man, right? He's a good man, a righteous man. Here's what I think is going on. Here's what I think is going on. Because he's a righteous man, I believe that Joseph is giving God the benefit of the doubt. Does that sound right? It's like, I don't have all the proof, and I don't feel good about this. I'm ready to put her away quietly, but I'm willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. I looked this up in a very reliable source, <clears throat> Wikipedia. You, you can't only alter that if you know what you're doing on a computer, right? 
But this is what Wikipedia says the benefit of the doubt is. A favorable judgment in the absence of full evidence. I believe that's what Joseph is doing in this passage. The angel gives him no proof. Doesn't stop to consider his feelings. He just simply says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Go. And when she has the baby, name him Jesus. He's going to save his people from the sins. This is going to fulfill everything that God said through the prophets in the Old Testament. Get going, dude. And Joseph is like, I don't see any facts. I don't feel good about it. But I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. And it brings us to the third thing you got to know. When you're in a dead end situation in your life, to get out of it, to overcome it, you need faith, not facts. So often we think if God would just show me the facts, then I'd believe. If he'd just send one person back from the dead to tell me all about hell, then I'd believe. If he would just do one miracle in my life, then I'd believe. If he'd just show up and get me out of this one jam, then I believe. But you don't need more facts. You need more faith. See, when it comes to God, like I said, the verdict comes first, then the evidence comes second. I start with the verdict. The verdict is that God is good, that God is with me, that God is for me. I start with those. The facts, the proof, the evidence will come later. If you come at God and think, prove it to me, show me first, you'll never see it. You'll never see it. You have to have faith. You have to believe that he is good, that he's with you, that he is for you. God, God's peace comes opposite the way we would think it would come. It's like some of you are sitting around waiting to say to God, Aha! I got you. You don't love me. You aren't for me. You aren't with me. You aren't good. As if we can point to some circumstance in our life and prove that. It's like we're waiting I knew you wouldn't be with me. And this is confusing for people who believe that faith is the absence of doubt. Because faith is not the absence of doubt. The Bible doesn't say that Joseph had no doubt. He must have had some doubt to be willing to divorce her. It just says that he did what God said to do, even though it was the opposite of what he had planned to do. He didn't let the doubt stop him. Of course you'll have doubts. We all have doubts. Listen, don't come at me with your Bible knowledge, all right? I know that James says when you need something, ask God. But don't ask with doubt. Ask with faith. I get that. Don't be a double-minded man. I get all that. But I'm talking about the real world. I'm not necessarily talking about what should be. I'm talking about what is. And what is is we have doubts. And you can come to God with your doubts, and he can still look at you and say, I hear that you've got doubts, but just trust me anyhow. Just trust me anyhow. Put the verdict before the evidence. Believe that I got your best interest at heart. Believe that I'm good. Believe that I'm with you. The facts will come later. The proof will come down the road. Don't let your doubts become your dead ends. And so many people get stuck in life because they won't walk through their doubt to get to God's promise. 
This guy I knew back in Pennsylvania, I was working with him. I was talking to him one day about our faith. And I don't know if it's because he knew I went to Bible college or if he knew I wanted to be, because he knew I wanted to be a pastor with my life. I don't know why. But sometimes people, they treat you different. You know what I mean? Like when you're a pastor, they treat you different. I, I hate that. Don't treat me any different, okay? But they treat you different. So he says to me, he's like, I'd love to have that kind of faith. I'd love to have the kind of faith you're talking about. But I have so many doubts. He said, I wish I didn't have all the doubts. I wish I was like you (laughs) and didn't have all the doubts. That was like 15 years ago. So if I was smarter, I'd have said this then, but I I wasn't smart enough then, all right? But I have doubts. All right, maybe you need to find a new church because you're like the guy up front with the microphone. He's got doubts too, right? I have doubts. I wake up some days and I think it doesn't all make sense. It doesn't look like it's going the way it's supposed to go. I have doubts, but that's okay. God doesn't scold Joseph for his doubts. One of the most famous stories of doubting is Peter walking on the water. You remember this story? He has such faith in Jesus that he jumps out of the boat, walks on the water, only to very soon after start to doubt and sink. And Jesus comes up to him and he says, why did you doubt? Right? But he doesn't beat him over the head. He comes to him in his doubt. And what's Jesus do? Takes him by the hand, pulls him up, walks him back to the boat. God's not scared of your doubt. You doubting whether, whether or not God is real. You doubting whether or not Jesus did what he said he did. You having some doubts or some questions about that. God isn't scared of that. He knows what he did. He knows what happened. He said, I envy you. Because I have so many doubts. I wish I was more like you and didn't have doubts. But I have doubts. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is the means to get through my doubts. Your doubts can become the evidence of your growth. Why? Because if I have doubts, but I trust God anyhow, I'll have these moments that I can look back on and say, I wasn't so sure about what I should do. I wasn't so sure if that was the right thing to believe, but I just trusted God anyhow, and look how it worked out. That's where I grow. You grow the most where you doubt the most. That's where faith has an opportunity to perfect you on the inside. Listen, if the absence of doubt was the prerequisite for God to use you, then not only would he have not used Joseph to parent Jesus, he wouldn't have used Mary to mother Jesus. You guys remember the story of Mary and the angel that came to her in Luke chapter 1? I'm going to read you a couple of verses from it real quick. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 28, the angel Gabriel shows up to Mary to announce that she's going to have a baby Jesus. Let's see if she had doubts too or not. Verse 28 says, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. There's the verdict up front, right? No proof, no evidence. But he says, the, the Lord is with you. There's the verdict. And look at, what she's, look at what happens next, verse 29. Confused and disturbed. Now, what's she confused and disturbed about? All the angel said was, what's up? God's with you. Is that so disturbing? She's like, I don't know what to make of all this. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. 
I got questions. You guys hear that, right? Verse 30, the angel says, Do not be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You guys get the verdict again, right? The verdict. God is with you. God is for you. God is with you. You found favor with God. That ought to be enough to convince her, right? She won't have any more doubts. He says, you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will name him Jesus. And he will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. I bet you she's on board. I bet you she's on board now, right? Look at verse 34. Mary asked the angel, how? How's this going to happen? I'm a virgin. How am I going to have a baby? I got doubts about what you're saying. You're telling me one thing, but I'm seeing another thing. You're trying to get me to consider one way, but I've kind of already decided that's not going to work that way. How? How can this happen? I'm a virgin, she says. The prerequisite for faith is not that you be doubt-free. It's that you would trust God even when you do doubt. Because when you doubt, that's where your faith has a chance to develop. A chance to mature. Faith learns to depend on God because of doubt. Listen, if you never doubted God, then you would be God. Right? You'd start worshiping yourself. Be like, I always know the answer. I'm good about everything. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden. I'll figure out your answers for you. You'd start worshiping you if you never had any doubts. If God removed all your doubt, you'd start to think you don't need him. But it turns out there's a benefit to the doubt. It turns out it's something you need. Listen, I'm not asking you today to believe without a doubt. I'm not asking that of you. In that Luke chapter 1 passage, the angel comes back to Mary and he says, God will take care of it. You hear what he said to her? God is with you. God is for you. And God is good enough to take care of it. Huh. The verdict. Over and over again. And then Mary says, okay. Then whatever you say, let it happen. Whatever you say, let it be done. I've got questions, but whatever you say, let it be done. I've got questions, but whatever you say, let it happen. I have some doubts about the plan, but whatever you say, I'll believe it. I'll trust it. Maybe that's us. We're looking at God and we're saying things like, how? Why? Who, me? I don't get it. How can it be like this? This isn't what I thought I was signing up for. This isn't the way life is supposed to go. I have some doubts. But God's greatest gifts are wrapped up in our doubts. Why? Why? Because if he gave you the proof, you wouldn't need faith. Right? I mean, logically, think through it a second. If God gave you all the answers, you'd never have to trust him. You'd never have to have faith. There's a chapter in the Old Testament in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, where the prophet Isaiah writes eloquently about the coming Messiah. 
It's quoted often in church, you know, the verses where it talks about like his name will be Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Some of you guys have heard this before, right? At the beginning of that chapter, I want to read you two verses where 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah is talking about the coming Messiah. And this is what he says. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Those are words God could say to you today, I think. Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. There will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, oh, I forgot to tell you, Galilee actually means land of shadows, right? And that's where Jesus comes from, Nazareth in Galilee, right? He says, there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, is that you? For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. That passage is written in what is called the prophetic perfect tense. That gets used a lot in the Old Testament, in the Bible in general. The prophetic perfect tense. That's where God says something in the future as if it already happened. It's a done deal. He speaks about something to come as if it's already done. The prophetic perfect tense. And he says, you may be in darkness. There may be gloom and doom over your life. You may be at a dead end. But there is light. There is glory coming. He went on to describe the Messiah's birth. What he would look like. What he would be like. What he would do for the people of the earth. And he looks at us today and he says, I know you've got doubts. But there's a benefit to the doubt. If you'll put the verdict first. If you'll hear God today say, I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm good. And believe that even when you're facing a dead end. Even when you have doubts. Then your faith will grow. And God will get you through the other side. God will deliver a Messiah, a rescuer. (laughs) You'll be able to look back at him and say, man, just like you said. Just like you said, I had some questions, I had some doubts, but I trust you anyhow. All of your greatest faith, all of it, takes place in the midst of your deepest doubt. All of it. You might be here today, you might have some doubts. You might feel like you're at a dead end. I want you to hear the real gospel today. That even if you feel like you're walking in darkness, even if you feel like your life is being overshadowed by defeat and dead ends, that there is a God who says, I will be with you. I will be for you. I will be good to you. I will save you. You've heard me say many times at our church, there's no magic prayer that saves you. There's no magic sinner's prayer in the Bible that's made up in church. There's no aisle to walk down in the New Testament. There's no card to sign. There's simply you coming face to face with the God of the universe and him saying, I know you have doubts. I know you have doubts. 
but will you trust me anyhow? Will you give me the benefit of the doubt and see if I'm not for you? See if I'm not with you? See if I'm not good to you? Today, I want to give you that chance. I'm going to pray. We don't ever do this because I don't want you to think my magic prayer is what saves you. It's not about the words you say. It's about the heart you present to God. Are you surrendered to Him no matter the doubt? I'm not asking you to come to Him with no doubts. A lot of times at Christmas, we sing, Oh, come all ye faithful. But today I'm asking you to say, Oh, come all ye doubtful. Come to God with your doubts and say, I don't have all the answers. I still have a lot of questions. But today, I believe what you say anyhow. That you want to be for me that you will be with me, and that you will be good to me. And I'm going to pray, and if you want that from God, from your heart, tell Him the same thing. And today, you can walk out of darkness and walk into light. Today, you can be rescued from the dead end and the doubt and moved into your destiny and God's design for your life. You ready? Everybody close your eyes. If you go to church here, if you're already a follower of Jesus, if you've already already passed through your doubt to trust God, you pray for everybody else in the room right now. You got it? You guys pray for us. Let's all get on the same page. Let's all walk through our doubts together to trust God anyhow, to give him the benefit of the doubt and see if he doesn't rescue us. And from your heart, you would just say to God, God, I trust you. I got some questions. I got some doubts. But today, I'm going to choose to trust you. I'm going to trust what you say, that you're with me, that you're for me, that you're going to be good to me. I'm going to trust it even when I don't have the proof, even when I don't feel it. I'm going to trust it. I'm going to trust that what you did is enough that you died for me and took my punishment. And that's enough to save me for eternity. I'm going to trust it even if I got some questions. Even though I got some questions, God, I'm going to trust it. Please save me. Please rescue me. Please restore unto me the design you made me to have. Give me the life that you want me to have. I trust you, no matter what, I trust you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Listen, if you just spoke those words to God and you weren't putting on a show for yourself or for somebody in your family, then Jesus just saved you. He just invaded your darkness and shined light on it. And you don't have to have all the answers yet. In fact, the better you get to know him, you might find out the more questions you have. You don't have to always come and be faithful. Sometimes you can come and be doubtful. And God will still show up and teach you something. God will still show up and love you and be with you and be for you and be good to you. Today, that's my prayer for you. Look, maybe you shirked that off. Maybe you blew that off, weren't paying attention. I'm going to give you guys the last three and a half minutes of our church service to speak one-on-one with God. I want to ask you during this time not to leave. I know there's a lot of people here. You want to beat the traffic. You don't have to do that here. 
But don't leave. Don't check out. Don't go to sleep. Talk to the God of the universe. He gave up everything to come be a little baby for you, to grow up and die for you. Just talk to him. And in this moment, if you're not a follower of him, tell him you'll trust whatever he says. Tell him you'll believe whatever he did. You'll buy it. You'll believe it. You'll trust it. You'll receive it. No matter what the questions, no matter what the doubt, no matter what the circumstances in your life, no matter how much of a dead end it feels like, in this next moment, I want to just challenge you to give God the benefit of the doubt.